completely grown up apart. Mother had packed me off to the continent in the care of a chaperone when I was too young to protest. The dear thing had always been of a sentimental turn, I suspect, and vicariously steeped herself in the dripping elegances of continental life through my letters. But while poor father never had a chance, our growing apart had not been entirely mother's fault. I recall dimly getting under father's feet as a child, pestering him for the goriest details of the crimes he was investigating, reading all the crime news with gusto, and insisting on popping in at him in Center Street with preposterous suggestions. He denies the charge, but I am sure that it was with relief that he saw me packed off to Europe. At any rate, it took us weeks on my return to cultivate a normal father and daughter relationship. My flying visits to the States during my period of errancy had scarcely prepared him for the experience of lunching with a young woman each day and kissing her goodnight and going through all the delightful shams of paternalism. For a while, he was actually haggard. He was more afraid of me than he had been of the countless desperados whose scalps he had hunted during his lifetime of detective work. All this is necessary prelude to my story of Mr. Drury Lane and the remarkable case of Aaron Dow, the convict of Algonquin Prison, for it explains how such an erratic creature as Patience Thumb came to be involved in a murder mystery. During the years of my exile, in correspondence with my father, particularly after mother's death, I had been piqued by his frequent and affectionate allusions to that strange old genius, Drury Lane who had come so spectacularly into his life. The old gentleman's name was, of course, well known to me by reputation. For one thing, because I was an avid reader of real and imaginary detective stories, and for another because this retired dean of the drama was constantly being referred to in both the continental and American press as something of a superman. His exploits as an investigator of crimes after his unfortunate deafness and consequent desertion of the theater had been heralded far and wide, and echoes of them had reached me in Europe many times. I suddenly realized, on my return to the fold, that there was nothing I desired quite so much as to meet this extraordinary man, who lived in a state in a fantastic but enchanting castle overlooking the Hudson. But I had found father immersed to his ears and work. After his own retirement from the New York Detective Bureau, he had naturally found idle existence an intolerable bore. For most of the years of his life, crime had been his meat and drink. So he had inevitably drifted into the private detective agency business, and his personal reputation had made the venture a success from the start. As for me, having nothing to do, and feeling that my life and training abroad had scarcely fitted me for the serious business of living— it was perhaps inevitable that I should take up where I had left off so many years before. I began to spend much time at Father's office, pestering him as of old, to his grumbling disapproval. He seemed to think that a daughter should be decorative, like a boutonniere. But nature had endowed me with his own grim chin, and my persistence wore him down. On several occasions, he even permitted me to pursue a modest investigation of my own. In this way, I learned a little of the terminology and psychology of modern crime, a sketchy training which was to be so helpful to me in my understanding of the Dow case. But something else happened which was even more helpful. To my own astonishment, as well as father's, I found that I possessed an extraordinary instinct for observation and deduction. I realized suddenly that I was equipped with a very special sort of talent, 
perhaps nurtured by my early environment and my eternal interest in criminalia. Father groaned. Patty, you're a damn embarrassing wench to have around. You're showing up the old man. By God, it's like old times with Drury Lane. And I said, Inspector, darling, that's a damn fine compliment. When are you going to introduce me to him? The opportunity came unexpectedly three months after my return from abroad. It began innocently enough and led, as those things so often do, to an adventure as amazing as even the heart of such a thirsty and voracious female as myself could desire. One day, a tall, gray-haired, elegantly dressed man appeared at Father's office, wearing the look of worry which I had come to associate with all those who sought Father's aid. His name, from the engraved card, was Elihu Clay. He eyed me sharply, sat down, clasped.